Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. So my name is Jacob Scheller. Um, I was asked to speak today for graduation Sunday, and it's always been something I've like looked forward to doing. Like I started planning this kind of last year when I saw Madeline Nate's speech, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to do it next year." So let's start thinking. So uh, I just want to tell you what God has laid on my heart for today. So we're going to start with like a little bit of me. So the past four or five years, I guess. I have struggled with what I'm going to do next after high school. Um, You know, when you're in high school, you get all those questions like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to college? What are you going to play? Are you playing football? And for me, it was like, I have no idea. Like, you're stressing me out. Please back off. Because I didn't know any answers to those questions. So I would get frustrated, not because people asked me, but because I didn't have answers for the questions. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. If you asked me, I would probably say, I'll let you know, and then would never let you know later. So, and then it always frustrated me seeing people my age have, like, a vision, and it was, like, I was jealous of that because, like, they, they know what they're doing, and they can start working at it, and I feel as if I'm a man who has a lot of ambition, but with no dream, that ambition is pointless because I have nothing to work for. So it was just frustrating me. I had a lot of frustrations. So I would have numerous, numerous conversations with God, like on car rides from to and from work or just kind of anywhere. And some of them would be frustrated. Some of them would be kind of sad or lost. And then others were just like, all right, here I am. Tell me what you want to do. And no matter what the conversation was with God, when I was done, I always say, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm hanging on for the ride. Because that's all I could do at some points. You know, it was just kind of hang on for the ride. And uh, the one verse that Brooke just used, actually, that stood out to me was that Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and preserve you, plans for hope in the future. And so that verse is supposed to speak hope into your life if you don't know what you're doing. But personally, it drove me up a wall because, like, it frustrated me. Like, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing And I was just waiting patiently for God to let me know what I was doing. And it never came. And it still hasn't really come yet, but that's okay. I'll get there. So, upon further studying of the verse, I found something kind of interesting. Like, really interesting, actually. The word plan in that verse can also be translated as purpose. So, if you reread the verse, it says, For I know the purpose I have for you, says the Lord. And when you think about that first glance, you think, All right, that's not a big deal. It's just, like, plans... To purpose, but you're wrong, because it's a really big deal, and here's why. A plan and a purpose have the same end goal. They all start for the remainder of the day. This is going to be point A. So all plans and purposes start at point A, and they end at point B, all right? But if you have a plan to get from point A to point B, it's structured, it's ordered, there's a rhyme and rhythm to it. So if I'm at plan or point A, and my plan is to get to point B by walking across the stage. All I have to do is walk across the stage, and my plan is, like, the plan is done. But the thing with the purpose is, there's really no order in how you get there. So if I'm at point A, and my destination is point B, I could walk in front of the stage, behind the stage, or I could crawl across the stage to get to point B. Because it doesn't matter how you get there, if your purpose is to get there, all you got to do is get there, which really interested me. And so when I would 
go out, like when I had this mindset that God had a plan for me, not a purpose, one of the biggest fears I had was I was going to miss the plan. Like if I go to YSU, am I going to miss what God had for me somewhere else? If I go somewhere else, am I going to miss the plan that God had me at YSU? And it was very like timid and it made me indecisive and I couldn't make up my mind on what I wanted to do because I was so afraid of missing what God had next for me. But that's where I was wrong because then when you change your mindset and you look at your future with a purposeful mindset, you know that you don't have to worry about the decisions you make being wrong or right because every decision you make if you're living in the purpose of God is going to take you one step closer to finding your purpose in the end. So that's why I was wrong with my planful mindset because I was so afraid and timid and indecisive when I should have known that if I go to YSU, God's still going to work his purpose through me at YSU. If I go anywhere else, he's going to work his purpose through me. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It's just a matter that I have to seek what God's purpose is in my life. So I don't know where you guys are at in your life, but just know that the decisions you make for better or for worse will not interfere with God's purpose in your life. They're just going to get you there one step at a time. And so here's a couple of things that you need to keep in mind when you're seeking God's purpose in your life. Um, here we go. So the first thing is that it does not matter how long it takes you to get to your purpose. Last week I had a conversation with Carrie. Carrie, are you here today? Oh, come on, man. He's not here? All right. So last week I had a conversation with Carrie in the bathroom, in the urinal. Definitely we were both peeing at the same time. So it was like a really awkward conversation, you know. And there's so many thoughts that you run through your mind. Like, do I try to make eye contact? Like, maintain straight at the wall? I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Do I wait for him to finish and we wash our hands together? <laughs> Next... So if you ever find yourself in a urinal conversation, please let me know how you dealt with it. I'll be ready for the next time. <laughs> Anyways, this conversation, he was, you know, we're sitting there doing the business, and uh, he asked me, you know, what, what are you doing next? And like I'd tell everybody, I was like, I got no idea, I'll let you know. And he was like, all right, that's all right, you got time. I've heard that a lot. You know, everyone's like, oh, you have plenty of time. Yeah, I do. But he said... I'm seven years old. I don't know if he's actually 70, so don't hold me to that. But he said, I'm 70 years old, and I still don't know what I want to do. And I thought at that moment, I said, I, Carrie, I sh this is what I thought in my head. I didn't say this out loud. I said, Carrie, I think you should come to my sermon next week because I have something for you. <laughs> I should have actually said it out loud because he's not here today, but <laughs> I'll remember that next time down the road. So... I was, what I was going to tell Carrie is, Carrie, it's okay that you're seven years old and you still don't know what you're doing because every day if you live in this purposeful mindset that God has a purpose for you, every day just brings you closer. Every single day is closer. Even though it seems like nothing's happening, it's happening. You just don't know it. And the example that I use for like time is the Israelites. So if you look at the Israelites, their point A was Egypt. And their point B was the promised land. And if you look at a map, I don't think it should take 40 years to go from Egypt to the promised land. But that was their own fault. But the thing is, they got there. And even though it took 40 years to get there, the fact of the matter is they get there. And so, even if you're like crossing through the desert for 40 years, don't think that God left you 
and doesn't have a purpose for you anymore just because it's been a really long time. Because even though God punished the Israelites by making their wandering a lot longer than it had to be, he didn't leave them. And you can see that through, he led them by fire tornadoes. Like how cool is that, a fire tornado? He dropped bread from the sky. He sent a massive amount of bird for them to consume every morning. He was there throughout their wandering in the desert. So if you feel like you're wandering in the desert right now and you feel like God has left you, know that he hasn't left you, but it's really hard for him to send fire tornadoes to guide you to your path nowadays. So just know that God is still with you. The second thing is that if you find finding your purpose to be extremely difficult, that's actually a really good thing. Um, There's a saying in sports that says, if your coach stops yelling at you, that's bad. And then the Bible says something pretty similar in James. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and tribulations, because through that you'll grow faith, and then through faith, perseverance, and then you can become a more perfect you. Which So when you see difficulties, that's a good thing. Like the devil does not send difficulties to people that sit at home and do nothing all day. Like he already won that fight. But like every day... Every day, if you're pursuing God's purpose for you, that's something that like, Satan does not want you to find. So that's why you receive these difficulties. And the greater the obstacle, the greater the triumph. So if you match and beat Satan's effort on trying to drag you down, like, it's going to be that much sweeter at the end. And I have two examples for this one. The first one is David. And actually, I have three, but the third one's special. So the first one is David. His point A was a shepherd. He was the youngest child. I don't know what that feels like, so that's great. His point B was king of Israel. That's a big jump, if we're being honest. That is a really big jump. And even though it was a great outcome in the end, look at all the difficulties he went through. First of all, to prove himself, he had to kill a giant. And it's pretty intimidating when a little dude kills a giant, and I'm saying that as a giant. I am intimidated by little guys who could beat up bigger guys. That is a scary thing. Secondly, he gets invited to play the harp for King Saul. How awkward is that? He is next in line, and he plays the harp for King Saul when he's, like, getting stressed out. Like, if I'm David, I'm sitting there, like, kind of playing my harp, like, all right, let's hope he doesn't get mad today. And then there were a couple times where Saul did get mad. And for all you Star Wars fans out there, King Saul is like the clone trooper of the Bible. That dude could not hit anything. He... Multiple occasions, he's right there with David in the room, grabs a spear off the wall and tries to hit him. Nothing. Misses twice. Like, there's a reason that Saul slayed thousands and David tens of thousands, because Saul couldn't hit anybody. (laughs) But, (laughs) so, Saul tries to kill David twice. David then goes on the run, you know. And if playing the harp wasn't awkward enough for David, apparently sneaking up behind Saul, cutting a piece of his robe off while he was peeing, was enough for David. So he hides in a cave, takes Saul's robe, and then comes back out. And he's like, hey, you were peeing and I stole your robe. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And then he continues, like, continues running, continues hiding, finally gets the king, and then kills Uriah, has a little thing with his wife, has a baby, baby dies, then a couple years later, his other son tries to take the throne from him. He wins it back in the end, but you see that even David achieved his purpose of being king, and it didn't get any less difficult. Like, it kept 
getting harder because even though you get to your purpose, that doesn't mean it's over. You have to take your purpose and run with it. And I think another example that I'm looking at is Paul. So Paul started as bad. I don't really know how you would better describe it. Jew killer, persecutor. He was bad. And his, his point B was really, really good. So again, we see this big jump. But Paul found out real quick what his purpose was. His purpose, he got blinded on the side of the road and God said, like, why are you persecuting me? And he was sent from that point on to like, to, uh, what's the word? Missionary does what? Spread, spread the word. He spread the word across nations. So you see Paul from the very beginning when he found out what he was supposed to do, he started with struggles. He started with fish scales on his eyes, which is nasty. That's nasty. He starts spreading the word. He gets beaten, flogged, stoned, bit by a snake, shipwrecked twice, and put in prison in multiple occasions. But that doesn't mean he gave up on his finding his purpose. He had already found his purpose, but he was running with it. And even though there were obstacles in his way, it did not stop him from completing his purpose. He, he fulfilled God's purpose in his life until he got his head cut off. He took it and he ran with it. And even though David had struggles and he made mistakes throughout the entire course of his purpose finding, God still described David after, as a man after God's own heart. So that just shows that if you are finding it difficult, that's okay because it's supposed to be. But you can't let go of finding your purpose. You can't, you can't run from God's purpose in your life. If God has a purpose for you, he will get it to happen. If you seek actively for God's purpose and find it difficult and run, God's already got you. He's just going to GPS reroute you until you finally choose to go back to where you come from. Like I said, with a purpose... The cool thing about a purpose, it doesn't matter how you get there, just matters that you get there. So if I'm at point A and I am, there's point B, and I run long enough that way, I'm going to get back to point B. Like you can run from it, but you're going to get back to it in the end. And I think that God is just going to reroute you until you get there, or he'll send a fish, swallow you for three days, and then spit you out on the banks of Nineveh. Another biblical example of what happens when you don't follow God's purpose in your life. So the third person I have to talk about is Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's son. That's mine. That's me. Uh, Joseph was the youngest brother. He was a little bit of a brat and a snitch. And uh, the phrase snitches get stitches, I think, was made with Joseph because they beat him up and dropped him in a well. Um, But Joseph's point A was the youngest little brat. And we know that his point B was second in command of Egypt, but unlike David and Paul, Joseph did not get the luxury of knowing what his purpose was. He did not have Samuel come dump oil on his head. He didn't have God strike him blind on the side of the road. All Joseph had was beaten up and thrown in a well and left for dead, and then eventually sold to slavers, and then slavers sold him to Potiphar, and then worked his way up in Potiphar's house. Gets accused of raping Potiphar's wife. He's back in prison. Works his way back up in the prison. Thinks he's finally got his break when the baker's like, oh yeah, I'll tell Pharaoh about you. And then never tells Pharaoh about him. But I don't give the baker that much, you know, flack. Because uh, there's been a lot of times where I'll be talking to people and they'll be like, hey, tell your parents I said hi for me. And I say, oh yeah, I'll do that. I've never once told my parents ever (laughs) that someone said hi. 
So I don't, don't give the baker too much trouble for that. I think he meant well in his words. It's all right, though. It's okay. But Joseph didn't know what he wanted to do, like what his purpose was. So that's, I feel like that relates to me a lot because I don't know what I'm doing, and Joseph didn't know what he was doing. And I bet there were a lot of times in Joseph's life when he was getting dragged from the back of a camel where he thought, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm holding on for the ride. Literally holding on because his hands were tied to the back of a camel. So it just, it, I look at Joseph as an example of what I need to be if I'm trying to find my purpose and I don't know what it is. Joseph did not know what his purpose was from the moment he got dumped in a well. And you see he goes through, rise to the top to the fall, rise to the top fall, until he gets to second in command of Egypt. And he gets there because he didn't know what God's purpose was in his life. He didn't know how long it was going to take. He didn't know how hard it was going to be. But he held on to the fact that he could trust in God because God does know everything we don't know, which is nice to have something like that. So if we're living in our purposeful mindsets, we can see Joseph's struggles and we can live our life and understand that the more difficult the road, the greater the struggle, the greater the triumph in the end when we finally finish our race. And the last thing that I have to talk about is you cannot compare our purposes with someone else's purpose. So I cannot look at my sister, where you at? My sister, and I can't say, I'm jealous of God's purpose for my sister. And likewise, she cannot say, I'm jealous of God's purpose for my brother, because it doesn't work like that. God made Jaden's purpose for Jaden. He made Jacob's purpose for Jacob. He made your purpose for you and your purpose for you. It does not, you're not, the grass is always greener, but you shouldn't be looking at other grass. Like it is your purpose. You need to do what God has in store for you. And one of the verses, one passage of scripture that I really like that talked about, I felt disconnected, was uh, 1 Corinthians 14 through 25. It'll be up there if you want to read along, but... Uh, what it says is, now the body is not made for up for one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I, am not, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in but in fact, God arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the head, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. The parts that are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given a greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So if you look at us finding our purpose is all a part of God's greater goal. You see in Romans 8.28, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian seeking God's purpose... We all have purposes if we're seeking it, you know? And I think we're not, our purposes are not meant to conflict with each other. They're not meant to, like, bounce off of each other. They're meant to complement each other because, as, like, we read in 1 Corinthians, 
all of our purposes come together as a part of one really, really big body. Like, that's a lot of human beings. And I just think that you need to work, we need to work on complementing our purposes with each other and not being jealous of another person's purpose because if it wasn't for your purpose, the body would not be able to work, you know? The mind is really powerful, but without a heart, the body does not work. And likewise, you can't be jealous of someone else's purpose when both of your purposes are supposed to work together for the greater goal in the end. And so I'm not... Oh, and then I have one more verse to read to you, and then we'll uh, wrap this sucker up. Uh, We'll be in Matthew 6, 26 through 34. It might be up there if you want to read along again. Um, It says, let me find it. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not, is what you will wear not, oh, I can't read. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away to barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble its own. So as a high schooler, as a middle schooler, I read that verse, and I took it really, really literally. And I was like, well, that was in Bible times. I'm a white male in the 21st century America. I don't really have to worry about what I'm eating and drinking. Because it's true. Like, we're all clothes. Everyone in here has clothes on. Thank you for that, by the way. I'm glad you decided to put clothes on this morning. But when you look at that verse in a deeper sense, yes, he takes care of our physical upfront needs, clothes, house, food. But he also takes our deeper needs and he, like, he has us covered. Like, we don't need to worry about what's next because we know that God has what's next. He is what's next for us. And we don't have to worry about that. And I just think that that's something that I have been trying to apply to my life more now. That even though I don't know what's coming next, it's going to be okay. You know, and I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to pretend that I figured it out since last week when I started really writing this down. Because I haven't. There's still a ton of question marks in my life. I know where I'm going to college, but I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know what's after college. I don't know who I'm spending college with. I don't even know where I'm staying at this point got to read some emails apparently that I've been getting and (laughs) guess that's important but I just have a lot of question marks there's a lot of question marks but it's okay because I can trust that God is going to turn those question marks into periods I can trust that God is going to take care of me no matter what decision I make because I know that if I'm living in a purposeful mindset every decision I make takes me closer to finding my purpose every day I'm on this earth takes me closer to finding what God has in store for me truly. So if you guys would just join me in this prayer, it's going to be a little repeat after me thing, and then we can have the altar ministry team come up if you would like prayer today. So dear Lord, thank you. Uh, I don't know what you're doing up there. 
but I'm hanging on for the ride. Amen. Thank you for having me speak today.